This is the podcast for the journal Genetics and Medicine, published by The Nature Publishing Group. It's the official peer-reviewed journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. I'm Cynthia Graber. The past few years have seen an increase in the use of whole exome sequencing to diagnose diseases, both in adults and in children. The case where it hasn't been used, however, is prenatally. Now, two studies in the journal Genetics and Medicine address the use of whole exome sequencing in fetuses. Karen Yates, senior genetic counselor at the company GeneDX, co-authored a study on deceased fetuses with ultrasound anomalies. We did this study because we felt that there wasn't, well, there isn't a lot of information out there with regards to the utility of whole exome sequencing in uh, the reproductive setting for fetuses that are deceased, either through um, termination or stillbirth. And we knew that we had quite a few cases with this information and felt that it was important to show that whole exome sequencing has a place in the prenatal reproductive setting. For ongoing pregnancies that show anomalies in the fetuses, there are a variety of tests that can be used and are used in the clinic, says Ms. Yates. But the question becomes, When you've done the standard testing and no answer has come about and you still are at a loss, that's where this can be very advantageous because we're looking at the whole exome, all the coding regions of the genome. And with that broader net comes the benefit of of finding more genes that might be related to the phenotype. For her study, they retrospectively examined 84 fetuses with ultrasound anomalies that were either stillbirths or terminations, And when specimens were provided, parents were also analyzed. Several cases also had sibling specimens. The additional genetic information from family members makes it more likely to ascertain a positive diagnosis. There are a number of challenges using exome sequencing prenatally. The turnaround time is an issue, first of all. And it's hard in the prenatal clinic when you're doing an ultrasound to really ascertain the um, phenotype of the fetus. You have limited information. You have challenges with gestational age. Imaging can be difficult. What center the uh, fetus is being imaged at might be have better technology than a different center. So that can be difficult. And then the other piece of this too is that we don't know a lot about how these genetic conditions may present prenatally. There's just not a lot of information out there. So we did our best as far as trying to sort that all out we'd get some records from some physicians that were incredibly detailed that gave us a lot of information and then others that were more generic. So we did the best we could with what we had. They were able to positively identify the genetic variant causing the anomaly in 20% of the cases. For 45%, they found a possible result. 26% of the cases were negative with no reportable variant identified. And I think that's an important point to make that exome sequencing still isn't the be all end all. Um, It has its limitations. So if you look at this particular study, you know, about a quarter of them, we still couldn't find the answer. Uh, So there's still a lot of unknowns in the world of genetic testing. Though the study was performed on deceased fetuses, Ms. Yates says the results demonstrate that whole exome sequencing can be, in some cases, a valuable tool for prenatal diagnosis. Nita Vora, associate professor of maternal fetal medicine at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, is the author of a second study in genetics and medicine on applying exome sequencing to prenatal diagnoses. When exome sequencing became available and found its niche in pediatric and adult medicine, I was very interested in trying to determine whether it could improve our ability to make a prenatal diagnosis and um, help these families understand better what's happening in their pregnancy. 
For Dr. Vora's study, they used data from deceased fetuses as well as ongoing pregnancies that already showed what they call lethal anomalies, meaning the fetuses likely wouldn't survive through birth. They only used DNA from fetuses for which they could also obtain the DNA of both parents. Fifteen patients were included in the study. They also included a questionnaire as part of their research. Not only did we do the sequencing, but we assessed parental perspectives and understanding of the technology. And this, I think, is very important to me as a clinician because, you know, when we counsel families about the testing, uh, we want to make sure that the patients understand what kind of results they're going to get. And so the pretest counseling uh, was done by the genetic counselor and took about an hour to go over all the different permutations of what we might find. And also the fact that even doing this test, we may not give them an answer at all. And we also, because we're sequencing the parents, we had to explain that if we found a medically actionable gene um, mutation in the parent, then that would be reported to them if it was pathogenic, a known pathogenic mutation. And we did have some parental findings that we had to report. But the main reason for that part of the study was to see how parents understood what their expectations were and how we can improve the counseling related to exome sequencing. She says they found that women from higher socioeconomic groups did better in their understanding and that they need to find other ways to better communicate what exome sequencing can and can't do. In terms of the results of the study, the researchers found a positive answer for 40% of the fetuses, likely a higher number because of access to parental DNA. Dr. Vora thinks this demonstrates the potential usefulness of prenatal diagnosis, with some caveats. I think that with a well-defined ultrasound phenotype in a family who does not get a diagnosis of standard genetic testing, I do think that there is potential for exome sequencing to provide an answer. I think as we continue to do this, our turnaround time will get faster and faster. There are also limitations at the moment, she said, issues of lab standardization, of interpretation standardization. Then there's the Pandora's box that prenatal testing can open up because it could reveal medically actionable variants for the parents, as well as issues of non-paternity or consanguinity. And then, says Dr. Vora, she's concerned about the potential of a rush to use it to test healthy fetuses. There's always a tendency to want to apply the newest and shiniest technology to healthy adults or healthy fetuses. And I, I think that that would, you know, open a lot of Pandora's box because a lot of the variants, you might find a mutation in a gene, but there may actually end up being no phenotype at all. Like, for instance, in some of these genes that um, are associated with developmental delay or things like that, those would be very hard to counsel about because those fetuses will have um, no structural abnormalities at all. They'll just look totally normal. But then if you apply this technology, um, you're going to find something and then you're not going to know how it's really going to affect that person when they're 10 or 12 or 20 years old. Or if it's actually going to affect them at all. Both researchers agree that while the tests can be useful today, more research is still needed, especially to better understand how variants present phenotypically during pregnancy. So again, I think that the more information we have, um, the better we're going to get with interpretation. And so I hope that um, at some point we have a, you know, a database with the phenotypes linked to um, specific mutations. And I'm working with some other 
uh, researchers to, to try to get that done. Genetics in Medicine is the official peer-reviewed journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and is published by The Nature Publishing Group. I'm Cynthia Graber.